Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. U.S. Supreme Court's been handing down a lot of decisions lately, and they handed one down just the other day that has a lot of people shaking their heads. The uh, Reuters um, covered the story, and in their version of the story, the headline by Hassan Kanu is, U.S. Supreme Court shows indifference to wrongful convictions. Uh, it is, as you can imagine, a nightmare that you could be convicted of something you did not do. You're sitting in prison and you're trying to get out and you discover that you've run out of options. You literally have got no more chances to appeal or anything like that. And we hear about stories where that happens, where somebody's in jail and they can prove they are innocent. So there's a distinction here that we need to make. We're not simply talking about somebody who's filed 75 appeals and they want to file 76 just in case they get lucky. What about if the situation changes and we let's, let's assume that we actually know that someone is innocent. They call that an actual innocence argument. And for many, many years, if you were rotting away in prison and something happened where you could say, look, I can now prove I am innocent. And like, I'll give you an example. Uh, changes in technology and science so that nowadays with DNA testing, we can sometimes prove things we couldn't have proved 40 years ago, 50 years ago. And so if somebody's been sitting in jail for decades and decades and decades and somebody says, hey, let's, let's test that piece of evidence using modern technology. Oops, they're innocent. Can we get them out now? Well, the U.S. Supreme Court seems to think that that's not necessarily the best argument. So the U.S. Supreme Court held last week that a federal prisoner cannot challenge his sentence even if later rulings show that courts misinterpreted the law and convicted the person for conduct that wasn't actually a crime, which is even crazier because they're saying legally this guy was innocent. Legally. Not just based on facts, but they're saying if you look at the law and what he did, it turns out the guy's innocent. So... (laughs) The ruling is the latest in a series of recent decisions by the court's conservative majority that have systematically closed off legal avenues to challenge convictions, even for innocent people facing death sentences, which, of course, would be the ultimate nightmare. Last year, for example, the court held that a man convicted of murder in Arizona was barred from presenting new medical evidence of his innocence on appeal, effectively clearing the way for his execution. That man was released from death row two weeks ago after Arizona's attorney general stepped in and decided that the guy's conviction should be spun around. Now, Arizona Federal Public Defender's Office announced the release just a couple weeks ago, saying the need to correct an unjust conviction remained, even though the Supreme Court's decision left the man on death row for a crime he did not commit and shut the courthouse doors to many others. Now, that's talking about what happened previously. The June 22nd decision came in a different appeal in a post-conviction case of a man who was convicted in Missouri in 2000 of unlawful possession of a firearm by a felon. The court held years later that the language of the statute requires prosecutors to prove that the person knew they had a felony when they had the firearm on them later. And now you might say, wait, Steve, who doesn't know they've been convicted? Well, the man argued that he was entitled to a chance to prove that he didn't actually know he had that on his record because he believed his prior conviction had been expunged under the terms of a plea agreement. So he was told 
he says, that this conviction will be expunged. Therefore, you will no longer be a convicted felon. Now, prisoners' rights to file a motion to vacate or correct their sentences were uh, severely curtailed by Congress back in 96 after the Oklahoma City bombing as lawmakers raised concerns about prisoners endlessly appealing their convictions. And so don't get me wrong, there is something to that, that someone who's in jail with nothing better to do can sit around and just file appeal after appeal after appeal or lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. We hear about this, but... That's the other end of the spectrum from what we're talking about right now. The uh, notion we're talking about is the legal concept of finality, the idea that convictions and sentences should become irrevocable at some point. Not everyone agrees with that, and I'm one of the people who believes that if something happens, some new evidence is discovered, uh, technology changes, and someone, if someone can prove that they are actually innocent— I believe that it doesn't matter what's happened previously. They should be allowed to raise that. That's what I believe. Lawmakers made clear that the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act would not go as far as to abolish procedures for people who have evidence of innocence that they could not have presented at trial for some reason. The statute barred second or successive motions to vacate, but included exceptions for newly discovered evidence, new rules of law, And if the earlier appeal was inadequate or ineffective to test the legality of the sentence, which is clearly a catch-all for situations where there is what we call manifest injustice. But in the Jones case, the Supreme Court held 6-3 to that he could not raise his innocence claim because he had filed an earlier separate motion to vacate based on ineffective assistance of counsel. And he had not at that time argued that he was legally innocent. The justices said the inadequate or ineffective exception applies only in exceedingly rare circumstances, like if the sentencing court were to be dissolved by Congress, for example. The U.S. Department of Justice did not respond to requests for comment on this case. Uh, The man uh, who represents Jones told the report of the court's decision leaves no way out for people imprisoned for actions that are later declared not to be a crime. It's also just one example of the increasing hostility this court has to all forms of post-conviction relief. Uh, In the dissent on that case, the justices wrote that the ruling blocks a prisoner who is actually innocent from raising that claim merely because he previously sought post-conviction relief. And keep in mind that with the law changing, you would be able to say, hey, the law changed. I'm no longer guilty. That's as innocent as you can get. And the Supreme Court saying, no, you, you can't raise that anymore because you already blew your one chance on this. Um, in 2021, the court held that prisoners cannot seek relief under a precedent which established that non-unanimous verdicts are unconstitutional, saying it applies to open cases only, not retroactively. And that, you'll recall, is some states said that you could be found guilty of a crime with a 10 to 2 or 11 to 1, as well as a 12-0 jury count. Uh, However, that's now been held to be unlawful. So people who were convicted on 10-2 or 11-1 go, hey, what about me? Well, no, this is going forward. This is not looking back. So the decision in the Jones case, which blocked petitioners from introducing new evidence to show their lawyers were ineffective, came the next month. The court later declined a motion to correct a factual error in his opinion 
that made it more likely the defendant's death sentences would be reinstated. And in June of last year, the court restricted prisoners' abilities to obtain medical or other scientific evidence that might show that their convictions were unconstitutional. So there's more to the story, but I'm going to end it right there because that's the gist of it. And I've mentioned before Timothy Masters. I wrote a book with Timothy Masters about his situation. He spent 10 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. Everyone now knows he did not commit it, absolutely proved he did not do it. And uh, the proof was hard to come by, but it came by because of the changes in science technology. And so when he was convicted, there was uh, all kinds of evidence that contained blood stains and things of that nature, but also uh, DNA, which could not be tested when he was put on trial. The DNA could not be tested. And after he was convicted and spent a big chunk of time in prison, approaching nine years when the appeal came up, uh, he finally got permission. And by the way, the prosecutors fought this every step of the way. Uh, He got permission to have some of the evidence tested. And it turns out he didn't do it. And so once that came clear to everybody... Uh, they decided, okay, fine, we'll uh, vacate his conviction, we'll let him out. And they did that. And later on, the uh, prosecutor's office and some other people actually apologized, literally apologized to Tim, saying, we're sorry this happened to you. But it only happened that he got out of prison because of the fact that he was allowed to bring these post-conviction motions and so on. Now, in his case, he had exhausted all of his appeals, Uh, through the state court system in Colorado. And the scary part is, for instance, the Supreme Court of Colorado, I believe it was four to three, voted to leave his conviction in place, even though the underlying facts were just ridiculous. Uh, And so he then began the federal process of bringing a habeas corpus motion and saying that his constitutional rights were being violated because he was being held unlawfully. And it was during that process that they discovered the technology was out there to test for the DNA that would prove that he was innocent. And so they tested it after much fighting, and he was exonerated. And so they let him out. And so in his case, he, uh, that was his first you know, step up to the plate in the federal court. So that wouldn't have invoked what's going on here. But the concept is still the same. Someone is sitting in prison somewhere for a crime. We now know that what they're accused of doing wasn't a crime or... We know that they can prove they're innocent. And, and I'm, I know people right now are saying, but Steve, we don't always know that. I'm talking about the hypothetical. The hypothetical situation where you're looking at somebody in jail and we know they are innocent. If we know they're innocent, shouldn't there be some mechanism to get them out? And I believe there should be. But hey, that's just me. <laughs> so the Supreme Court disagrees with me. And I will tell you that I have people all the time who come up to me and say, Steve, here's what I think the law should be. And I go, well, the Supreme Court disagrees with you. And people get angry with me. And I say, well, I'm just letting you know the Supreme Court disagrees with you. I'm letting you know right now that I have an opinion that the Supreme Court disagrees with me on. (laughs) I think they're wrong. But until they admit that, this is the law. This is the law. So right now, it appears the Supreme Court shows indifference to wrongful convictions. And they've done it in more than one case. So AG sent me a note about this. Thank you very much. Reuters published it, and Hassan Kanu wrote that, and it was widely reported. So there you go. Questions or comments, put them below. Otherwise, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law.
When faced with a large project, remember you move a mountain one stone at a time.